on the Narrangong Where narrow-minded folk belong Bring the kids, it's a bloody good place to be There's a bakery and a primary school A decent pub and a public pool There's a roundabout and a bloody good petting zoo to boot So come on down and grab a beer You can stay if you're from here And if you're not, you best be moving along From Narrangong You can't G'day cats Welcome back to another episode of Welcome to Narangong, the oral history project for the charming southeastern South Australian town of Narangong. Earl's given us a bit of Christmas cheer today. Cheers, Earl. How's uh, how's your thing with the cops working out, mate? A speeding ticket? Nah, I don't reckon they'd send the constabulary out for a bloody speeding ticket, mate. Eh? You reckon? Alright. Anyway, we're pleased to bring you today a couple of stories. We'll get right to it with the proof of the pudding. Kylie, can you spare us two bucks? Kylie was preparing roast chicken for Christmas lunch. What do you need two bucks for? I want to get nice coffee. Spare us two bucks, Kai. It's Christmas Day, Maddie. The shops are all closed. Matthew was Rog Jr.'s youngest by his first wife. Rog and Kylie had been married for three years during which Kylie had made every unsuccessful attempt to ingratiate herself with Matthew and his brother Shane. Today, however, was not a day for improving familial relations. It was a day for running them through a gauntlet of proximity, gift-giving and alcohol. It was hot as blazes outside, and not a great deal cooler in. There was a beef roast in the oven, a ham waiting to go in, and three chooks Kylie still had to stuff. Day was rising on the table, two dozen potatoes were about to be peeled for mash, and the water for the pudding was just beginning to boil. Add to that the 17 people currently sitting, standing or running around the house, not many of them bothering to help with the bloody cooking, Kylie thought, and there wasn't a whole lot of room left for goodwill to all men, let alone goodwill to a stepson begging for change, but Kylie figured she'd give it a try. There's ginger beer in the fridge outside, Maddie. Go grab one of those. I told you I wanted a fucking iced coffee, Kai. Do you have two bucks or not? That, thought Kylie, was enough goodwill for today. I'm up to my elbows in a chicken's ass. I've got the punch still to make and a pudding to boil. How about you fuck off with your two bucks, Matty? He grumbled and set off for more fertile grounds. The Christmas pudding was a proud and established tradition in the shanky home. It wasn't as if anyone actually liked the thing, of course. It was three kilos of glass A cherries and sultanas and not enough sugar, and in the final touches, burning brandy. But buried in that dark, dense mix was a collection of old coins that were the basis for the most beloved Christmas ritual, the pudding slicing. The pudding slicing was the grand finale of Christmas lunch, the coup de grace that pushed everyone from comfortably full to passed out on the couch with a beer and a smile. First, Mum doused the pudding in brandy and set it on fire. This originally had some symbolic significance and was also a cautionary measure to kill any germs on a pudding that might have been stored for months. But what originally began as protection against sanitary threats persisted as protection against culinary ones, because of the simple biological fact that if your eyes are sufficiently entertained, your taste buds will have trouble getting any messages through to your brain. Once the pudding had burned itself out, the slicing would begin. Mum would hover the knife, rotating the pudding slowly as she waited to bring it down and slice through the leathery brown exterior. Stop! Natalie would shout, she being the youngest and mum would bring the knife down, her sinews straining as she worked the knife through the tough flesh of this strange festive fruit. 
Mum would make another cut to slice off an appropriately sized piece. Natalie, Rog and Kylie's daughter, was just four and would be taking pole position for the second time this year, three being about the age when a child could be convinced to eat something as horrendous as Christmas pudding on the promise of a cash reward. And that was the economics of the pudding slicing. Baked and boiled into the pudding were a collection of ancient coins. Browned and tarnished by years of pudding abuse, the coins represented a wealth in more modern coinage and could be exchanged with Mum Shanky at a rate determined partly by whether she thought you'd been behaving recently, but mostly by how much money she had in her purse at the moment. The slicing went on in reverse chronological order. After Natalie, it would be Emily, Reg and Michelle's daughter, then Darren and Debbie's Georgina and her older brothers David and Dylan, both 13, then Matthew and his brother Shane, Rog Jr.'s eldest, Debbie, Kylie, Darren, Rose, Cliff, Reg, his wife Michelle, Roger Jr., Mum, and old man Shanky had the pick of the last piece. All that was yet to come though, because the pudding was still a bowl of tar-coloured batter. The historic coins sat next to it in a small and tattered sack. Mum swept into the kitchen as Matthew made his way out of it. Nana, he ventured, can you spare us tea bucks? I spared you a new bike and a cricket bat this morning, you greedy shit. Plus, it's Christmas Day and the shops are all closed. Now push off and let your nan cook. Maddie slashed out of the kitchen as Mum turned her attention on her helpless daughter-in-law. What in the bloody hell are you doing to that chook, Kylie? You trying to stuff it, not check it for piles? The sounds of culinary and domestic discord were muted by the time they reached the back lawn, and then they were drowned out by the sounds of good-natured fraternal competition. You fucking kicked it, you bastard. I didn't kick it. I didn't have to fucking kick it. Mine was already closer. Oh, it's fucking closer now because you fucking kicked mine, you cheating bastard. Reg and Rog were in each other's faces at one end of the lawn. I had but to bowl the ball and had but one ball to bowl. But as I waited for my turn, my stomach did begin to yearn. I sated it with cereal that I poured into a bowl. And when at last it came my turn, I set down my ball and balled the bowl. Rog and Reg turned from where they'd been arguing by the kitty to glare back at their brother. What? Rog asked, nonplussed by this sudden exposition. Cliff weighed a lawn bowl in one hand and smiled back. You like it? He asked. Near rhyme, mixed into the middle of a more traditional rhyming structure. It's my signature poetic technique. Rog and Reg stared back at him. I thought it was brilliant, darling, offered Rosé from the porch. Just throw the fucking ball already, Cliff. Old man Shanky demanded, and you lot stop arguing and get out the way. Dad, Matt asked, can you spare us two bucks for a nice coffee? What? Rog Jr. turned from his brother, who had wandered off to find a measuring tape. A nice coffee, Dad, can you spare us two bucks for a nice coffee? No bloody way, you bludger. I told you to get yourself a bloody job, and anyway, it's Christmas Day and the shops are all cl- Ah, fuck! What the fuck, Dad? Old man Shanky's expertly aimed bowl had cracked Rog Jr. in his ankle. I told you to get out the way, didn't I? He cackled. Now shove off, Maddie. I'm going to teach your dad how to play lawn bowls. Yeah, but can I have two bucks, Grandpa? Maddie ducked an airborne lawn bowl and scurried away, not to be seen again for the next three hours. He still hadn't shown up by the time Christmas lunch was on the table. I'm not going to wait for him, I'll tell you that, said old man Shanky as he menaced the Christmas ham with a carving knife. Where's your brother, Shane? demanded Rog Jr., Shane was three sheets to the wind on sneaked glasses of sherry, but he stirred himself enough to belch and suggest that Matthew had taken his bike and gone off for an old-fashioned Christmas sook. Well, I'm eating some fucking ham, old man Shanky decided, and began to carve. 
He expressed a similar sentiment with regard to the pot roast, mashed potatoes, bread rolls and roast chicken which, despite Kylie's purported inexperience with the stuffing end, had come out quite well. He's going to miss his turn at the pudding, said Kylie. Too bloody bad for him then. I've already poured the brandy on. Plus, you've got those dishes to get to, Kylie. And if we let them sit, they'll be a right mess for you to clean off the sticky bits. She set the pudding alight and reached for the knife. All right, Natalie, my dear. Mum turned the plate and held the knife over what looked, for all the world, like a geological souvenir from Dante's travels. You just say when. When? Natalie shouted as the knife passed over a shriveled cherry and gnarled nut cluster. Good one, love. I reckon there's bound to be some coins hiding in this piece. Mum said as she sliced off a piece of the pudding and handed it across the table. There wasn't though, and Rog Jr. had to comfort little Natalie with the promise of any coins he found in his piece. Emily was next, and Reg found himself in the same position, trading her pudding futures for present smiles when her piece was unavailing. Debbie and Darren next had to offer to split their two pieces three ways when first Georgina, then David and Dylan found nothing better in their fruitcake than more fruitcake. There are a few things more disappointing. Kylie, Mum turned to her, did you put the bloody coins in the pudding? I, Kylie paused, I, I went to mix them in before I boiled the thing and the sack was empty. I figured you'd put them in. Mum glared at her and stormed out to the kitchen. David and Dylan started reducing the remaining fruitcake to a pile of dark crumbs and dried fruit. Mum returned with a little coin sack, which was, just as Kylie had said, quite empty. It's bloody empty! Where the bloody hell are the coins? The room was silent for a brief second. Oi, you lot were wrong, said Matthew from the doorway. He had gotten over his sook and smiled broadly, although he was sweaty from the heat. He took a refreshing drink from his iced coffee. The survey was open. What a ripping yarn. Brings a tear to my eye thinking about Christmas pudding. Mainly because I broke a fucking tooth biting into one last year. Can't believe I'm going to have to eat another slice in a few days here. Fuck. Anyway, let's get to our second story, The Blood of Chris. You may have heard this one before. It was read on 3MGB, the local radio station for Mallacoota, Victoria. You can listen to it on their archives at 3MGB.org.au or you can listen to it here, right now. They say Adelaide is the city of churches, but that's only because it's got a bloody lot of them. Narangong, however, has just two. At the east end of town sits St Peter's, Narangong's oldest church. It was founded in May of 1845 for German settlers. The current building was erected in 1885 to accommodate the growing congregation. At the west end of town is St Andrews. It was founded in September of 1845 for German settlers who left St Peter's after a disagreement over who was responsible for bringing the biscuits to morning tea. Their current building was erected in 1886, because you couldn't bloody well be the only church in town without a new one. Although St Peter's maintains the distinction of being the oldest church, since 1991, St Andrews has been its most popular. That year, two things happened. The church finally got new carpet, and the stain appeared. The church had been saving for new carpet for some time. They had held a silent auction, a curry dinner and a quiz night, and finally saved enough to replace their threadbare red carpet. After a vote from the congregation, they went with something tasteful and a subtle beige, and gotten it laid in time for Christmas Mass. The whole congregation was excited for the big unveiling, to be followed by morning tea. 
Everyone would bring a cheese pull apart or scones or one of those awful fruitcakes that would sit untouched and unsliced until someone would carve a sympathy slice and endure the aftertaste of regret. Joan Harry was preparing to bring a delightful selection of brightly coloured iced sugar biscuits. A jumble of copper biscuit cutters cluttered one end of her counter. Flour dusted Joan's hair and her apron too. There were tiny handprints in the flour on the countertop and bare footprints on the wooden floor. The thick, rich scent of sugar and vanilla wafted from the oven and mixed with a haze of flour that hung in the air. Fresh puffs of flour flew up from knee height as Joan's two kids giggled and threw handfuls of the stuff at each other. Mum! Chris, Joan's youngest, yelled out, clambering up on the chair next to her. Mum, can we make some koalas? Joan looked down and smiled. She pushed aside the Christmas trees and angels and soldiers and fat father Christmases. She hadn't planned on including Australian wildlife in a selection of Christmas biscuits, but her Chris was hard to turn down when he smiled. Of course, love. Go find the koala and I'll roll out the dough. Young Chris leaned from his chair, down the counter toward the tangled mass of biscuit cutters. The chair tilted up on two legs as he crawled his hands toward them. Thump! The chair clunked down onto all four legs as Joan held fast to the back of it. Get down, you goose! You'll crack your head! Chris scowled back at her but tucked his arms and got ready to leap. Thump! His feet hit the flower-dusted floor. Joan smiled as the floor shook, but looked up in alarm when she heard a tiny gasp. (gasps) Chris was staring up at her, his eyes as wide as summer windows. His little mouth was shaped into a perfect O of surprise. Joan looked down where his feet had landed. He'd found the koala all right, but he'd found it cutting edge up on the kitchen floor with the bottom of his foot. He began to cry. The cut wasn't as bad as all that, but it was humorously shaped and unfortunately positioned and seemed to want to bleed rather a lot. Jane rolled up her flowery sleeves and did her best approximation of first aid. She'd already baked and iced three dozen bickies and blowed if she was going to miss showing them off after Christmas mass, and Chris, after all, was going to walk at the head of the processional. Joan had to skip the last batch of ice biscuits, but she managed to get two trays of Fat Father Christmases, beautiful red and blue and yellow soldiers, perfect green Christmas trees, and lovely white angels, and exactly zero koalas, loaded into the car, sandwiched between the kids. Chris sat sniffling away, his foot wrapped in a tea towel and two thick socks for good measure. He did a marvellous job in the processional, though. He held the cross high and didn't limp a bit. He stood still by the altar throughout the welcome prayer, Joan had promised him first dibs on the bickies if he behaved himself, but still, what a little trooper. He was still smiling when he returned to his seat, and he gave a great big grin at morning tea after when he picked out a Christmas tree and a slice of chocolate cake and a scone with jam and cream. Joan was pleased despite her ill-conceived act of charitable fruitcake consumption. It was the cleaning lady who discovered the stain, actually two days later, when she was vacuuming around the altar. She let out a scream and dropped to her knees to pray. Father Bruce came running from the rectory when he heard her cry. Word spread quickly, as it often does in small towns, and soon people were coming in to see the stain. Sunday services were more crowded than ever before, and even some of the St Peter's crowd started attending services at St Andrews. Before long, folks from as far away as Murray Bridge were coming in. Father Bruce had to add a second Sunday service for the crowds. People say that just catching a glimpse of the stain has the power to heal the infirm and comfort the elderly. It'll be at least 10 years before they'll have to put in new carpet, but until they do, the miraculous stain can be seen just next to the altar at St Andrews, shaped, curiously, 
just like a little koala. What another ripping yarn. Thanks for joining us for this special Christmas instalment of Welcome to Narangong. We'll be back next week with another Christmas story. Until then, take it easy.